chapter 7. Let's continue to pray for Sister Veronica, the White family. I feel like this might be just a little too loud. I'm going to move that down a little. Let's continue to pray for the White family and Sister Veronica's family. Let's continue to pray for the Britt family in their uh, moment of loss and grieving and all that they're having to endure. I'm getting a notification that my battery is close to being dead. I guess it didn't charge last night. Praise God. That's all right. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to take a picture real quick on my phone just in case my laptop dies. I apologize, but I'm going to do this just so that you guys get some meat today. Hallelujah. But I, I do not plan on speaking too long. I believe that God has a plan, what he wants to do in this house. I know you're seeing me take all these pictures. You're like, oh boy, look at all those notes. Hallelujah. All right, Romans chapter 7 and verse 15. We're going to be reading from the New King James Version. It's really for the sake of the wording. The wording in the King James Version is very difficult to follow. But in the New King James Version, it's, a, it's much easier. This very first passage of Scripture, to me, is just kind of sums everything up. Verse 15, For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I am doing, I do not understand. In the New Living Translation, it reads, I don't really understand myself. That's what Paul's saying. I don't really understand myself. You know what? I think that changed to the New Living Translation. If you could move that back. That was just a one line from that. Um, if you're able to, if not, it's not a big deal. But Romans, as we continue, he says, For what I will to do, that thing that I desire to do, that I do not practice. The thing I, I want to do, I, I don't do it. But the thing that I hate, that's what I end up doing. Anybody ever felt that frustration? <laughs> you kicked yourself, Aaron, why in the world are you doing this thing? Verse 16, if then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law, the law of God, that it is good. But now, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. I've got the desire to do right. But how to perform what is good, I do not find. I can't discover. For the good that I want to do or I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I desire not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I desire not to do, I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. So he's setting the stage. He's showing the situation. 
And now he's about to explain the reason it acts in this way. Verse 21, I find then a law that evil is present with me. The one who wills to do good. I'm the one who desires to do good, but evil is still present with me. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. I truly want to do what is right. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death? And as if suddenly he just couldn't help himself, he breaks away from the narrative and he says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. He answers the question, who is it that can set me free or deliver me from the body of this death? It's Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. It's Jesus Christ. So then, with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, I serve the law of sin. Today, I want to preach to you for a little while, and this might be a little teachy, but I believe that God is in this. I want to preach to you about the fourth law. Is that all right? Can we set our Bibles down? I'm going to ask every person in this place, if you've been in church for 30, 40 years or if you've been in church for two weeks, I want to ask you right now to open up your heart and say, God, I ask you to speak to me again. I ask you to teach me something. Help me, Lord God, not to build up walls against your word. Or help me, Lord Jesus, not to have a presumption of holiness or righteousness within me, but help me, God, to explore my heart Help me to explore my actions. Help me to explore my thoughts. Lord, today, and it doesn't matter how long I've been in church or, Lord, how, how mature in Christ I am, help me today once again to explore myself that I might discover how to live for you more effectively. I love you, Jesus. I invite you to speak to me. Have thine own way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Would you again clap your hands and say, Jesus, Jesus, have your way. Jesus, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, the reason I said that is because, God bless you, you can be seated. That's not the reason I said that, but God bless you, you can be seated. The reason I said that is because in this passage of Scripture, this is Paul speaking. Paul, who we know was the apostle to the Gentiles. He preached just about to the whole known world at that time. He wrote a, a majority of the New Testament. Many of the books of the Bible and, and the understanding that we have of God and His Word and His will, it's directly because of the actions of Paul. But yet Paul writes this passage of Scripture in Romans 7, and he doesn't write it in the second person or the third person. He doesn't write it to the church in Rome. 
In fact, he writes it speaking in the first person. He's, even though obviously a mature Christian in Christ, he begins to write of his own struggles, things that he's noticed and recognized in himself. He's not trying to push this off. This isn't, oh, you're a wretched man. It's, oh, what a wretched man I am. It's, uh, uh, you know, what, the, what I desire to do, not just what you desire to do. It's what I desire to do that I do not. And what I do not desire to do that I do. He's not trying to push it off on another person, but he's recognizing this is a struggle that even I myself have. He continues and not only does he do it in first person, he has the narrative in the present tense, indicating he's not trying to speak of something that is in the past. This isn't something that took place before that day on his, the road to Damascus when God knocked him off of his donkey or horse or whatever it was he was riding and God blinded his eyes. It was even after that he's stating these are present issues that I am in need of solving. So he's talking personally. If Paul felt like this is something he needed to focus on, then I think it's something we can focus on today. And it doesn't matter where we are or who we are. It's time to revisit this today. So we see in this passage of Scripture, he explains this struggle that he has with being, doing right and doing wrong by explaining there are four laws. Specifically, we just read about three laws. The law of God is first. Now we recognize the law of God. This is easily understood. It is God's moral commandments, God's moral law. We know the Ten Commandments, right? We know the thou shalt nots. These are the laws of God, things that we are uh, called upon to follow. We recognize thou shalt not steal, right? Thou shalt not uh, commit murder. Thou shalt not commit adultery, we recognize these very basic commandments. And then the Bible's filled with lots of thou shalt nots. And it's so important to know the Word of God. Amen. Hallelujah. And, and I, I'm telling you right now in this, this sermon, if it ever feels like I am, am downgrading the law of God. Please understand from the get-go, I'm not trying to do that. I believe it's the most important book you'll ever read. Hallelujah. I believe not only does it have the way of salvation, it also teaches us the way we should live our lives. I believe it's the most, if you don't, don't worry about the self-help books in the library, just grab your Bible. Hallelujah. And start living the way that the Bible says to live. As Paul points out in Romans 7 and 12, he says, Wherefore the law is holy, and the commandment is holy. It is just. It is good. Oh, let me tell you something. I believe we must fall in love with the Word of God. Hallelujah. We must fall in love with the Scriptures. 
We must fall in love with the commandments. If you've not read the Bible through in a year, I'd encourage you, make sure that's, if you've got a bucket list, put that at the very top, hallelujah, to read the entire Bible through from beginning to ending. I'm not saying you got to start there. If you're brand new to this, you've never read the Bible, start with the gospel. Start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then go to the book of Acts and keep going. And then go back and read the, the Old Testament. Hallelujah. But if you've not read the Bible through, I'm telling you, it will change your life. Hallelujah. Oh, praise God. There, there's something common with every person that has radically changed their life in the presence of God. Every person that I know that has radically transformed and began where they were not serving God, now they're serving God, potentially in ministry, it does not fail. Every one of them took time to read the Bible from beginning to end at the very beginning when they first got into the church and first started serving God. Now, why do I say that? I'm saying because they're setting themselves up to succeed. Hallelujah. If you've not read the Bible through, what are you waiting on? Hallelujah. You can do it. Make the time to do it. Put, put together your day in a way that you can do that right there. And if you need assistance, we've got what's called the bread program on the table right out there next to the doors. It's basically read the Bible through in a whole year. You read two or three chapters every day. And if you stay consistent with it, you can read the entire Bible in one year. Hallelujah. I'm telling you, it's worth it. Amen. It's worth it. Why? Because the law is holy and the commandment is holy and just and good. Paul even recognized in verse 22, we just read it. He says, for I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. We got to delight in the law of the Lord. Let me tell you, if that's a missing piece, you got to fall in love with the word of God. And he is quoting, if you will, Psalms chapter 1, when it says... Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. No, but verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the river of water, and bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither away, and whatsoever he doeth, it shall prosper. I believe that falling in love with the word of God, it will set you up to succeed in life. It will allow you to be prosperous in your walk with God. Oh, hallelujah. That's the blessedness of the law. Praise God. Anybody love the law today? Anybody love the law of God today? You see, if we take the Word of God and we live according to the Word, and that's the key, right? Don't just take the Word of God and read it and have all this knowledge, yet you don't live by it. 
But if you love the Word of God, you read it and you abide by it. You, you're not hearers of the Word, but you're doers of the Word. It changes your life. It will help to set you up for success. Because the Word of God reflects the will of God for our life. But let me also state, and again, I want to be careful by stating this, but the law of God has its limitations. The law prescribed is one of the quotes on there, Brother Kavan. The law prescribed a life of holiness, but it was powerless to produce such a life. So it prescribes the words of life. Didn't Jesus say that? In the word you shall find the words of life. In the word you think you know how to be saved, but you got to search again. So the law prescribes a life of holiness, but it is powerless to produce the life of holiness. And why is that? It's because we come to the next law, the law of the mind. It is the inner self, the conscience of you and I. And we see the law of the mind in chapter 7, verse 22 and 23. And basically the idea here is, is that I've got the word of God, right? And I decide within myself, I'm going to live according to the Bible. I decide in my mind. It's an inner self. I'm going to do what is right. You see, when Adam and Eve, we've been, every, every Sunday we talk a little bit about creation. I'm going to do it again a little bit. When Adam and Eve took of that tree, what was the name of that tree? Knowledge of good and evil. That began the law of the mind. The mind was opened up and now we were able to determine the difference between good and evil. Uh, Adam and Eve, they immediately recognized that they were naked. My daughter loves that part. We've been doing uh, Bible studies every Tuesday night with just our family. And I've just been breaking it down little by little, doing 15, 20-minute Bible studies. The kids, they just love it, mostly because they know if they do the Bible study, they get a baked good afterward. But, uh, but my daughter just, she, she, the other day, she was sitting in the car with my wife, and she said, Mommy, you know Adam and Eve were naked in the garden. <laughs> she thought it was hilarious. Um, so, but they, it opened up their mind. They, all of a sudden, they realized it's not good for be, me to be naked. I wish some other people would realize that today. Hallelujah. In this world, it's not good for me to be naked without clothes on. They're, the understanding of what just happened and, and their current state of affairs, it opened up and all of a sudden they knew good and evil. Now listen, I believe the Word of God helps to teach us uh, right from wrong, good and evil. But even without the Word of God, we all have a base level understanding of what is good and what is evil. Paul 
Paul, he actually alludes to this earlier on in the book of Romans uh, when he talks about the idea that some people would say, oh, you know, anything goes. It doesn't matter what you do. It's, it's all whatever you desire. It's all culture. Let me tell you, not everything is just culture. Not everything is just this is society saying it's wrong. There's a base level of understanding. Why? Because you know it's not good to steal because if somebody stole from you, you'd be unhappy about it, right? <laughs> if somebody were to hurt a family member, someone you cared about, you wouldn't be happy about that. Of course there's good and evil. Of course there's right and wrong. Even without the word of God, we're able to come to that conclusion. Hallelujah. And, and today you're probably in this place. You've probably decided in your life you want to do right. Am I right? You want to do good. You don't want to do evil. Hallelujah. You've got the will inside of you. So, here's another quote. If I've got the will or the word, and I've got the will, shouldn't that be enough? Well, I think you and I could testify today and say, sadly, it's not enough. Am I right? Sadly, it's not enough. The entirety of the Old Testament testifies to this fact. It is not enough. The children of Israel had the greatest law in the world. They had communion with God. It, it, it may have been, you know, uh, limited, but they had communion with God. They recognized that they were the chosen people of God, yet they failed and they fell over and over and over again. Isn't it frustrating to read First and Second Kings? And this king came and he did what was evil in the sight of God. Don't you just look at that and read that and say, why don't you just get it together, man? <laughs> you've got the word and you've got the will. Why aren't you living the way you're supposed to? Let me ask you that same question. You've got the word and you've got the will. Why is it that you're still, we are still struggle with sin? He says, he recognized, though to will is present with me. I, I know that I want to do what is right. He says, but I see another law in my members. This is the third law. Everybody say the third law. The law of sin. The law of sin is the sinful nature. The dominion of sin. The compulsion to break God's law. He recognized in Romans chapter 7 verse 23. But I see another law in my members. And it's warring. Everybody say warring. It's warring against the law of my mind. Even when I want to do right, there's something that battles and fights it. Even when I know right from wrong, there's something that keeps trying to convince me to do what is wrong. 
It's battling against the law of my mind. My will is being broken down. One temptation after the other temptation. The law of sin wars against the law of the mind. And let me tell you something. I hate to tell you. I know some people, they've got the willpower to overcome this and that. But at the end of the day, this is the understanding, the truth. The law of sin is more powerful than the law of the mind. You're not going to determine your way out of sin. You're not going to decide your way out of sin. You're not going to will your way out of sin. It's not about willpower because willpower cannot match against sin power. It wars against the will of the mind. And it brings me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. Is this okay today? When I was younger, I'm going to be, I'm going to be truthful with you today. I'm going to be, um, praise God, open with you about my past. When I was younger, of course, I was, I was a pastor's kid. I knew about God. I knew about church. When I was real young, I served God. I believed I was called to be a preacher and pastor, but I fell away. I walked away from the Lord. I started serving myself and sin. I pursued things that were not of God. The law of sin began to prevail in my life. One of the catalysts that led me back into the church was really one night. One night that completely wrecked who I thought I was. I prided myself on being a strong person. Prided myself on doing what I needed to do. I was 14 years of age. I was working 40 hours a week. I prided myself on that. But one night, I was young. I was 14. And a couple months before that night, I got somehow connected with a girl in our church organization. Of course, this was before I was married. I was 14. That'd be illegal. Um, but this was before I even knew my wife. Started talking to this girl. It was purely carnal, if I can be just honest. Our conversations were never deep. It was always just flirtatious and just uh, all of this and we talked for a while. It was about a month that we talked and just, you know, never did anything serious. Well, I'd never seen her before. I'd never been around her before. And one night we were doing, going to a conference in Ocala, and she was going to be there, and I was going to be meeting her for the first time. And again, I had no real feelings for this woman. It was sadly all flesh. It was all carnal. So when I, I went there and I saw her for the first time, spent time with her, I realized very quickly I was not attracted to this woman at all. She was 19. I was 14. And I knew she knew a lot more about a lot more things than I did. She 
I remember at one point in the night, I took her aside and just said, listen, you know, uh, I've enjoyed our friendship. I don't think we should be involved in any kind of a relationship. I still remember that moment when she pretty much jumped on me and began to kiss me. And it took me by surprise. I was shocked. I mean, at that point, I honestly, I'd only kissed a couple girls <laughs> in my life. And, uh, and, and really, you know, when I say kiss, I mean, it, you know, it was nothing severe. I didn't even know what I was doing. I was a 14-year-old kid, you know. And, and, uh, but she jumped on me, started to kiss me. And I remember standing there. And even at one point, I resisted. I said, no, I don't. I don't want to do this. She kissed me again. Well, then I, I kissed her back. And I remember uh, we, we stood there for a while just, just kissing. I, I, don't, I don't want to get into too many details. I don't want to make anybody sick today. Hallelujah. But I sat there, and I just remember thinking the whole time, I do not want to kiss this woman. <laughs> I am not physically attracted to this person. I'm not emotionally attracted to this person. I wanted to escape. I remember my brother walked up and he said, Aaron, you ready to go? I jumped. I, yep, I'm ready to go. I said, all right, let's get going. He said, oh, well, you're going to have to ride with her because I've got a couple people in my car and I, don't, I can't fit you. I said, kick them out, please. Please kick him out. I can't go with her. I said, sorry, I, you know, I got these people. So I went in the car with her. At some point, she pulled on the side of the road, and it started all over again. I remember that night begging myself, please stop this. You don't want to do this. This isn't what you want to do. You're not attracted to this person. And before you, you know, you think anything, it didn't go, you know, that far. But, but still, it went further than I'd ever gone before. It did, we did things that I'd never done before. This was an older woman. Obviously, she was taking advantage of me, a younger boy who just couldn't say no. I remember so that night thinking, yelling. You ever hear, hear that voice yelling in your mind? Stop it. Say no. Don't do it. But something inside of me would not allow me to say no. I was held captive by the law of sin in my body and I could not refrain myself. Can I tell you, after that night, eventually, thank God, God arranged it because it could have gone way further, been much worse, but God arranged it to where it couldn't happen and we ended up going and meeting with my brother and that was it I never talked to that girl again well it's truly I never answered a phone call text message again but I do remember laying in bed at night so depressed and saying I didn't even have the strength to say no to somebody I didn't find attractive I didn't care about in that way and I couldn't say no what is wrong with me what is wrong with me? Hallelujah. Then I look back at this passage of Scripture and it says that sin, the law of sin, it takes me into captivity. And I can say that night, it took 
me into captivity. I was the prisoner of my own flesh and desires. I was a prisoner of sin. I had chains around my wrists and I could not say no, no matter how much I'd like to. And I challenge to say that perhaps even today, if you've been in church a long time or not, perhaps there's some people today you know you've got chains around your wrists that the devil has used sin to captivate you, to bring you into captivity. And there's things in your life that you've got the will to say no, yet you cannot stop it. You cannot say no. You cannot refrain yourself, perhaps out of fear, or perhaps it's just a lust. Whatever it may be, you feel captive by this. It's because the law of sin is greater than the law of the mind. And here's the next scary part. I promise it's going to get better. Here's the next scary part. The law of God cannot help you against the law of sin. In fact, Paul says that the law of God only bolsters the law of sin. The law of God magnifies it. And it does nothing but condemn us because of the law of sin. Again, I'm not trying to knock the law of God. It serves its purpose. It is essential for us to live holy and righteous. But in the path of, living whole, of, of reflecting those things, what it's truly doing is showing who we really are. What it really does is it shines the light on our sin and it says, this is what you shouldn't do, but you're still doing it. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost. I feel something in that right now. This is what you should be doing, but you're not doing it. This is what you shouldn't be doing, but you're still doing it. It just bolsters it. It points it out and it makes us condemn. The Word of God absolutely condemns us if we leave it there. Romans chapter 7 verse 9, earlier on in the chapter, Paul makes this statement, for I was alive without the law once. I lived my life without the law. He had much more peace and assurity, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. He's not saying that he started sinning. He's saying he recognized his sin and all of a sudden he fell into condemnation. And verse 10, the commandment which was ordained to life, it's meant to produce and bring life. It actually caused him to find death for sin. Taking occasion by the commandment deceived me and by it slew me. He's saying that the commandments, yes, they're so essential and important, but sin overwhelms the commandments. It uses the commandment of God to condemn us, to deceive us, and to captivate us. For we know that the Word of God says this in Romans 6, 23, 
Hallelujah, for the wages of sin is death. Oh, but I'm also thankful that the Word of God points this out. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It doesn't leave it there. It recognizes sin and the horrible effects it has on us. It recognizes that sin will punish us in eternity but it also recognizes that Jesus came. Jesus won eternal life for you and I. Jesus is able to set us free. He's able to forgive us of the sin. That's why Paul said in Romans 7, 24, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Oh, I thank God. I thank God through Jesus Christ. Oh, anybody today say, my sins have been forgiven. My sins have been forgotten. The law of God may have magnified it, but Jesus washed it away. And I'm no longer having to deal with a path, a past of sin. Oh, praise God. First John chapter 1 and verse 9. For if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive. Everybody say forgive. He's faithful and just. No matter how great the law of sin is, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Oh, Hallelujah, Jesus. It doesn't matter today what your past looks like. He's able to forgive you. But though Jesus forgives sin, we still have another problem. Because although God will forgive our sins, we're still dealing with the three laws. The law of God, the law of the mind, and the law of sin. Yes, he may wash away and cleanse the past, but what about today? When you go home and that flesh comes up again, that flesh tries to condemn you again, that flesh tempts you again, what happens then? I'm telling you, we need the fourth law which is found in the very next chapter, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. It just continues the narrative. It says, therefore, there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Look at this. Who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For, look at this, verse, verse 2. Hallelujah. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin. And oh, I'm talking about the fourth law. Oh, I'm talking about the fourth law that is able to 
break down every barrier of sin that's able to break every chain that's able to set the captives free the spirit of God he has made me free he has made me free oh for the law of the spirit 8 verse 8 chapter 8 verse 2 the law of the spirit is the fourth law it is the Holy Spirit within the believer, the principle of walking after the Spirit. I'd like to talk to some people today who are struggling with sin. If you don't have the Holy Ghost today, I believe you can receive it today in this altar right now. You can receive it. God will fill you with His Spirit. And get this, not only is He going to fill you with the Spirit, but He's going to give you a recognizable sign that lets you know that God's filled you. And that is the evidence of speaking in tongues as the Spirit of God gives the utterance. I don't have time to do all this, but Acts 2, Acts 10, Acts 19, every time they received the Holy Ghost, they began to speak in tongues as the Spirit of God led them. Why is that important? It's because you need the assurance that the Spirit of God lives inside of you. And if you've got the Spirit, you've got the fourth law and the fourth law is able to cancel out the third law which is the law of sin but let me also talk to those who've been in church for a long time and you felt the hand of deliverance from God, the overcoming lifestyle that God provides, yet the law of sin still attaches itself to you and perhaps through temptation after temptation, you've worn out, you've given up and you've fallen into sin again, you've gone back to your old ways, let me tell you today, the spirit of God is able to set you free he's able to do it again if the devil put chains on your wrist again then he'll just set you free again what I'm really trying to say is I'm trying to say no spirit filled Christian should be content with sin in their lives Oh man, I'm about to hit it today and get into this. No spirit-filled Christian should be sitting in the pew saying, well, today I worship God, but tomorrow I sin. God wants you to live an overcoming lifestyle. God wants you to be victorious. And because of the fourth law, you're able to live holy and righteous in the presence of God. Oh, how about we stand today? Galatians 5.16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Oh, hallelujah. I'm not saying, well, let, let, let me be clear today. If Jesus was able to break the chains off of the demon-possessed man who had a legion of demons and set him free to where immediately he came to a right mind. God's able to set you free today, immediately from any chain of sin on your life. 
Oh, come on. I believe that here today. But let me also say, we got to make sure it's a lifestyle. We can't just search God and allow the Spirit of God today to do it. But tomorrow as well, I got to pray again. I got to read the Bible. You want to know why or how rather you can fall back into sin after receiving the Holy Ghost? Well, if you misstep and you allow yourself to walk in the flesh and not in the spirit, then you'll fall back into the law of sin. But Romans 8.13, it says this. For if you live according to the flesh, you shall die. But if ye, through the Spirit, do mortify the deeds of the body, that means to kill or to cut away. If ye, through the Spirit, you can't do it off your own willpower. You can't do it because you read the Bible and now you're convinced of it. That's wonderful. That's great. That's one of the steps. But you can only do it through the power of the Holy Ghost. You can only do it by putting your trust in God and saying, God, I need you to cut this out of my life. I need you to cut like it's a limb that's just hanging off of me that it's ugly and it's nasty. I don't want it on me anymore. I don't want to be held captive by the law of sin. But cut it away. Cut it away. Mortify the deed. Of the Bible, that's Romans 8.13. It concludes with one final passage of Scripture that will come down to the altar. Romans 8.37. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. Hallelujah. You can be a conqueror today. You can conquer the effects of sin. You can conquer the effects of sin, but you can also become more than a conqueror, more than victorious, more than just laying down sin, because you'll walk in the Spirit here today. I'm not just going to make a general altar call. I'm going to make a call out to some people that says, you know what? I still struggle in the flesh, and I got some things I need God to cut out of me. I saw anybody willing to get honest today and say, I still struggle with sin and I need God to cut some things out of me. I need God to do a work in me that only He can do. I can't do it. I can't do it just off of willpower alone. I need the Holy Ghost. I need the Holy Ghost.